0: Well, I want to start with a little confession that I have to make, and uh, it might—I don't know—it might cost some of you to leave the church. So, sorry about that. But often I have a hard time hearing God. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Tom. I do. You know, occasionally uh, this happens more with my family, but. Uh, you know, my family will call me or text me and say, hey, you know, usually it's when something bad happens and can you pray? Can, and sometimes uh, I get the feeling that people think I have this like special bat phone connection to God and that there's this red phone I can go pick up and God's on the other end of it and that somehow he hears my prayers better than your prayers or that sometimes I hear him better than you. Um, certainly there's a, I'm practiced in hearing God and, and it's part of my job and calling, but, um, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I, you know, there's times in my life where I don't sense his presence. There's times where things don't make sense to me. Um, there's times when we look in the future. Uh, if you know strengths finder that test, one of my top strengths is future, and I, I love the future, and I love looking forward, but even in looking in the future, there's times where like, I don't know if God's hand is in this or not, and we're just trying to figure it out. There's times in the present, we're looking like, man, where is God right now? You know, maybe, maybe that's where you're at. Like there's something going on right now, and you just don't sense his presence. You don't know what God's up to. You can't hear his voice. Maybe you're in a wilderness, and you're just like, right now, something's not right, and I don't know where God is. Or maybe in the past, it um, like look at something that happened in the past and you don't really you can't see God in the past in the rearview mirror. Out of all those three, hindsight is 2020. 20, and for me, it's easier to see God in the rearview mirror than, than through the windshield. But um, I want you to think about that. How, how do you sense God's presence? How do you sense seeing Jesus? And there's no shame. I open with a confession because there's no shame or there's no guilt in that. I think if we're all honest, we all would have the challenge of either in the, pre- in the future, in the past, or in the present, or just right now, sometimes it's hard to for sure say, I can feel God's presence. There's, there's an old, not an old song, There's a, a newish song we sometimes sing. And my favorite line in it is this prayer Let us become more aware of your presence. I love that Um, that song. Because often I'm praying, Lord, help us to become aware of what you're doing. Just open our eyes. We're going to talk about that today. Before we jump into it, uh, I'm going to do something we've never done before. We're going to do a a prayer exercise. Um, And it might seem weird to you. If it seems weird to you, I want to point out you came to worship at a storage facility. (laughs) And it's probably less weird than that. So um, we're, we're going to, in a moment, uh, um, we're going to, here, let's put this prayer on the screen. Now, I'll, I'll read it to you so you, you know what you're getting into. I uncovered this this week. I don't know who wrote it, but I, it's wonderful. And it says, Jesus, my risen Lord, as you did for your disciples in Emmaus, open my mind to your scriptures and my eyes to your presence this day, that I may act on your word and take joy in your grace. We're gonna look at Jesus on the road to Emmaus, one of the classic stories of Jesus post-resurrection. I want to um, pray this prayer together three times. I know God hears it the first time, but sometimes I'm thick and I need it to enter me three (laughs) times. I need to repeat things to get through my thick skull sometimes. So what I want you to do is um, is close your eyes, and I want you to just kind of reset. Maybe adjust your posture. Uh, maybe you need to let go of some worries or a grocery list. And just be still. If it would help you to just take a deep breath and hold it and release it, that's usually what I do. I invite you to do that right now. All right, we're going to pray this slow, so I want you to follow my cadence, and then we will have some time of silence and stillness in between, okay? Jesus. Jesus. My risen Lord, as you did for your disciples in Emmaus, open my mind to your scriptures and my eyes to your presence, that I may act on your word and take joy in your grace. Amen. Jesus, my risen Lord, as you did for your disciples in Emmaus, open my mind to your scriptures and my eyes to your presence this day, that I may act on your word and take joy in your grace. Amen. One more time. Jesus, my risen Lord, as you did for your disciples in Emmaus, open my mind to your scriptures and my eyes to your presence this day, that I may act on your word and take joy in your grace. Amen. Uh, One reason why I wanted to show you this is I kind of intuitively pray some version of this every time I open the scriptures. Just, God, I need you to shine light. Help me understand. Because if I'm approaching this with my intellect or my reasoning, I'm just, you know, 2,000 years, 21 centuries away from a lot of this text. And I'm Western, postmodern American, and I need your spirit to do what his job is, which is to shine light on the scriptures and to reveal Jesus to me. And almost every time I either pray something slowly or just in two seconds, I just let that be the desire that comes from my heart to God's heart. And it is, if, it, if there is one tip or trick I could offer you in um, reading the scriptures and seeing Jesus, it's praying something like this. So if you wanna, we'll leave it up here if you want to take a picture of it, or if you want me to send it to you, I'd ha- be happy to email it to you. Maybe we'll put it on the interwebs so you can get it. Let's go to Luke 24. We're going to page 885 if you use the Bibles around you. We're going to read um, this incredible encounter that the risen Lord has with two disciples who are um, a little blind and mostly discouraged and without hope. In slow of heart, Jesus will call him slow of heart, which has to be encouraging. So Luke 24, we'll start in verse 13. Uh, This is resurrection morning. So last week we looked at, from John's account, how Jesus um, revealed himself to Mary Magdalene at the tomb in the garden. And same day, Resurrection Sunday, here's what happens. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all th- these things. Um, and I, I want you to, as we read, to, to watch for this thread of these things, that, that phrase. Uh, they were talking t- with each other about all these things that had happened. While, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And he said to them, "What things?" And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's one of my favorite verses there. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. This is fascinating. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread, and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. I want to uh, show you verses 13 through 19. And this, uh, this section of text makes me laugh whenever I read it and understand it, and as um, the Spirit shines light on it. And I hope that you can find some humor in this. Um, it says, That very day... Two of them were going to the village about seven miles on a road trip. They're talking about these things. Um, And Jesus draws near, comes with them. They don't know it's him. Let's go to the next slide here. And he said, what are you talking about? And they looked sad. And one of them said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? They're his things. It's his life mission. These things they're talking about are his things. And they, they are the things that were prophesied in Genesis 3 when um, God spoke to the serpent and, and, and said the gospel, preached the gospel to the serpent for the first time. It was this. And you, would, you could argue uh, that all of human history was leading up to this point of Christ's work on the cross on Mount Calvary—the uh, most important things in all human history—are is what they're talking about in Jesus. Right after he had accomplished all of that, which is quite a feat, shows up and acts like he doesn't know what they're talking about, and says, "What things? What I want to um, point your attention to is the playfulness of Christ here. It's not that he's ignorant." And it's not that he's being cruel. There is a, a, um, just a playfulness to the heart of God that we see come out here. And that's uh, and one of the things I love about Jesus is he, he is playful. When you really get to know him on a personal level, he, there, there is this, this humor and this joy and this delight and this playfulness that comes out. And we see it here. I just, when he says what things, I just I cackle every time I read that. They're his things. And then in verse uh, 27, he says, um, you know, he eventually lets the cat out of the bag and he does something which is amazing, which everybody should um, be able to do. And unfortunately, it's not the case. But he goes into the Old Testament, as we know it, and it says, starting with Moses and all the prophets, he interprets to them all the scriptures, uh, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, which is... um, All scripture whispers his name. The the classic example of this, I grew up in church. And so on the flannel graph, we had flannel graphs back then. Anyone else have flannel graphs? We have flannel graphs. So the classic example I always give on here is uh, there's David and Goliath, right? And as a kid growing up in church, the practical interpretation given to me on David and Goliath was, you know, know, uh, know, little uh, teenager drew you know, you've got a test, you know, this, this tomorrow on Monday and you feel like it's a Goliath, but if you just pray, you know, you're going to, you know, slay that test just like David slayed Goliath. And, and I don't know if anyone's ever had that interpretation, but uh, we tend to insert ourselves as the hero into these Old Testament stories. And, and often David and Goliath is, you know, like like no one tells you you're Goliath, uh, but, but we all are told or assume we're David um, but here's the, here's the gospel in that Old Testament story, is if, if we're in the story, we're Israel scared hiding in the bushes. That's where we are. And Jesus is David, and he slays Goliath, who is sin. That's what David and Goliath is all about, is about uh, the overlooked person no one saw coming, coming, and very skillfully cutting off the head of death, hell, sin, and the grave. David and Goliath is about Jesus in our sin, not about me overcoming my test when I was in freshman high school, right? And so, Jesus, uh, we read into this that he goes through all those accounts and he's like, Jonah in the well It's about Jesus, you know, uh, Noah in the ark is about Jesus. It's all, all these stories are about Jesus. And, and their hearts, they still don't get it a little, but they recognize their hearts are burning, okay? Um, now, kind of a funny story is years ago there was a, a local politician. Uh, I won't tell you his name because you probably you know him. And uh, he had done something to really anger a lot of churches and pastors in our city. And, uh, and it, it got really, really ugly. And I, we were friends. And so one day he called me uh, to City Hall to have lunch with him. And so I get summoned uh, to City Hall to go have lunch with one of our elected officials. And, and he's basically like, Drew, will you tell me why all these Christians hate me? and why, why pastors are picketing me and, and all this stuff and protesting me. So we're talking, and we start to talk about the Scriptures, and he has all these questions about the Scriptures, and he says this phrase, he says, Drew, I, don't get me wrong, like, I love the red letters. Like I read the red letters, and the red letters are awesome, but it's the black letters that I don't, I don't, uh, I don't agree with or like. And I said, well, what about when the black letters in Matthew... Point or what about yeah, when the red letters in Matthew point to the black letters ninety-eight times? Because Jesus quotes the Old Testament ninety-eight times in just in Matthew alone. And he goes, What? <laughs> and I was like, Well, what about when here when he uh, shows them how all those old black letters you don't like are actually about him? And he's like, What are you talking about? Like, let's just eat the sandwich, <laughs> like you're not ready for this. But that's a common uh, misconception about the scriptures is like, I just like the red letters but everything else. Well, what do you do with those red letters? What do you, what do, you do with the red letters in, in Luke where we, well, they're black, but they're quoting him? I, I think they're red. But you get the point is that all scripture is pointing to Jesus, right? That's just a little thing out there. Let's, let's keep going. This and, and here's the point that I want to just drive home to you, verses 28 and 29. Um, what I want to show you here, and this is what this means for us 2,000 years later. They were drawing to the end of, to, near the village. And, and Jesus does something that, if you know the character and nature of God, would make you question what he's up to. Because he acts, he pretends. You know we believe that God is true and He's truth and He's honest and He's not a deceiver. It's the enemy who's a father of lies. But Jesus does something uh, that's not exactly truthful in this situation. He acts like he's going somewhere that he has no intention of going, which is a little out of character of God. But, but you have to why is He acting like he's going further? If I were to title this message, I would say He acted, but they urged. What what I believe is that Jesus is inviting them to invite him into their life. You know, he's not deceptive in nature. He wouldn't pretend. To, but what he's doing is he's, he, he's encouraging them to say, we want you to come with us. We're, we're, we're inviting, we're giving you permission to come into our home. And that, and so this is just kind of fun. Again, he's playful and he's acting and he's, um, he's leading them. They urged him strongly that stay with us, And so he went in to stay with him. Now, to to illustrate this, I want to share a different scripture that has nothing to do with this, okay? Um, It's a great, great little verse in one of my favorite epistles or letters, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Um, It's this kind of opening remark that Paul says to the church in Ephesus. And uh, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not that he he's going to, he has already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, this, ha- this verse has nothing to do with the, the, the sermon, but what I want to, there's a, a great illustration I read from an old, I think an old Scottish theologian named Alexander McLaren. I think he was Scottish or Irish or something like that. But he, um, there's an illustration he says on this verse that makes the other verses um, make sense. But he said, if a banker, the president owner of a bank said, come into the bank. And he goes into the bank vault and he unlocks the vault where all the gold and treasure is like they have in the movies. And he walks, he takes you into the bank vault and he says, have your fill, take whatever you want. And if you walk out with a penny, whose fault is it that you're poor? Right? And, and so what, what McLaren is saying about this verse is God's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but until you grab hold of it, whose fault is it that you're poor? Right? And I think this is similar to what Jesus is doing on the road to Emmaus. He acts like he's going on because it's important that the disciples grab hold of the spiritual blessing that is in front of them. I mean, he's next to them, but they don't know it. They, they have to intentionally urge him strongly, welcome him in, open the door of their hearts to let the king of glory come in. Like that, that, That's an action on their part. It's initiated by him. But they have a responsibility to saying, come in, right? If, if the king of glory opens the bank vault and says, you can have whatever you want, and if you walk out with a penny, whose fault is it that you're poor? You have to lay your hands upon the blessing and say, I want it. I welcome it. I'll take it, right? And I think this is the big idea of the passage. Some of you are like Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. You're you're sad. God is right next to you and you don't even see him. You don't feel him. You don't hear him. You might even be doubting his existence. You may be skeptical or cynical or negative. You may be uh, grieving a loss. Uh, you, You may be saying these things that have happened don't make sense. Like Cleopas, their hope is deflated. You may have a broken dream or you may have something you hoped in that didn't happen, that didn't pan out the way you thought it should have panned out, and God is with you, but you have no idea that God is with you. And I don't want to discount those feelings because they're real, and I've been there. I know that it stinks when you're in those seasons where you don't see God working in the past, in the future, in the present. Is it possible that just like on the road to Emmaus, that God is actually with you? Is it possible that for some reason your eyes don't see him and that God is there urging you to urge him? He's given you an opportunity. He's opening the bank vault, so to speak, and saying, you have to welcome me in. You have to, Jesus will say, ask, seek, knock. Action words, right? He stands outside of the church in Revelation I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and, and sup with him. I'll fellowship with him, which is what he does. He's knocking at the door um, of Cleo and his friend. And he wants them to open the door. And he actually does come in and uh, share table with them. This is the, 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 the last verses here, verses 30 through 35. Is uh, We see this, this, um, the rhythm of the Lord's Supper. He's at table. And this rhythm of him taking the bread, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it, we see that rhythm in the feeding of the 5,000. We see that rhythm uh, um, on the night that he was betrayed. And it is when they are communing with Jesus that they see that it's him. And they realize that they felt him in the scriptures, their hearts are burning, but they see him. At the table. It's one of the reasons why, as a church, just in case you didn't know, there's a reason why we have the scripture and the, and the sacrament, the table here, because we see this in, in Luke 24. Man, we find God's presence in the scripture and at the table, and it's part of our identity. I want to um, encourage you don't let Jesus walk off down the road. For some of you, Jesus is with you and you don't feel it and he's acting like he's going down. Don't, do, don't let him take one more step down the road. Invite him into your life. Invite him into your thoughts, into your will, into your desires, into your pain, into your, your broken dreams, into your grief. Invite him into your questions and your doubt. He can handle it. I want to um, just ask you, throw, we'll have three questions up here that I want to ask you. Um, the first one is, are you in God's word, and is God's word in you? I know that usually there is like a, this is where some people go to guilt trip, and like, you need to open your script, but here, no guilt, no shame. I just want to tell you something I've seen my whole life. I have never met a healthy Mature, at peace, full of joy Christian who didn't have a Bible that had been just shredded because they were in it so much. I don't I've not met them. I've met Christians who their Bibles are mint conditioned and they never read the, the scriptures, but they don't have a fullness of joy. They don't have a fullness of peace that they don't have a, a, a settled, grounded sense about them. And that's not judgment. That's just observation. Um, there's times I open the scriptures and I don't want to. There's there's a lot of time Every week there's at least one day I don't want to open the scriptures. I've learned just like there's days I don't want to brush my teeth, but it's for my health and the pleasant experience of people around me that I do the discipline that I don't want to do. And the same is true with the scriptures. There's times I don't want to do it, but it's for my health and for the enjoyment of other people around me that I, that I do the discipline. And I've learned how to find Christ in the scriptures. This is one of the reasons why we do these devotional guides. Is not because they're super deep and theological. It's just, it's one way. If you need help reading the scriptures, this is one very low bar way of doing it. I'd encourage you, um, if this is an area of your life where you're like, I don't know how, or I don't like it, or there's pain, I get it. I've been there. Find a buddy, find a brother or sister, and say, "Will you help me? Can you? Can we do this together? Can we? Um, can we hold each other accountable?" I'm just telling you, it works. It may not be pleasant at all times, but it does work. Uh, the second thing is. Uh, as we talked on the front end, do you pray for the spirit to open your eyes when you read the scriptures? Uh, If you're not doing that, I would encourage you start doing that. Just, it's his job to reveal Christ to you. So invite him to do his job. And then uh, lastly, um, where's God with you? Is there an, is there an area of your life that is particularly painful or disheartening? where you don't sense God's presence but maybe he's actually there maybe he's in the suffering maybe he's in the pain maybe he's in the letdown maybe he's in the boring routine of life maybe everything's going swimmingly for you where's god there when life is just casual in the victories maybe like you're killing it in life right now where's god in that are you aware of his presence with you Don't let him go down the road without inviting him into your life. There's some of you here listening who, you haven't haven't given your life to Christ yet. You're kicking the tires. This is one more example of Christ knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to regenerate life in you. He wants to make a new creation. If you hear him calling your name, if you hear him tugging on your heart, I want to encourage you, open yourself up to him. Let him Ask him, just Jesus, come in. That's all you got to do. Jesus, come in. That's all you got to do. It's, it's really that simple. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for us, and then um, in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. And I want to invite you. We do this every week, but I want to encourage you. Come to the table afresh, just as Cleopas and his friends saw Jesus in the breaking of the bread. Come and meet Christ at this table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving the world so much that you gave us your one and only Son. And that out of love, he stretched his, his arms of love out on the hardwood of the cross so that, it, so that it, anyone who comes within his saving embrace might find life and life more abundantly. God, for those here who are uh, struggling to hear Your voice, for those who just have a broken heart, God, I ask that today You would come beside them, and that You would cause their hearts to burn within, and that You would reveal Yourself to them in the bread and in the wine. For our friends listening in who are here, who don't know you intimately, Holy Spirit, we pray for you to come. We welcome you and invite you to do your job. Come and have your way in us. Dwell richly in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our discussions, in our wills, in our plans. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, we pray.